Hello, everyone. Welcome to another podcast from Trezio. Today, uh, we have our chief strategist, Jerry Salaya, with me again to talk about his latest currency outlook and the publication he did, Currency Matters. My name is James Chu. I'm the head of investment solution at Trezio Immersion Advisors Limited. So let's start. Jerry, we just put together this Currency Matters, I think, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, what are our key highlights for our audience who listen to this podcast? Bearing in mind that not all of them are traders. Some of them probably more like advisors and other type of professional investors. Yeah, hi, James. When we put together Tricio's Currency Matters, we try to t- keep that in mind. So we write it for people who have investments and equities, bonds, and other assets in different currencies around the world, mostly with an eye to somebody with a major currency base, like dollars, euros, sterling, maybe Swiss francs or yen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what we try to do is take a view of what we think is going to happen over the next year or so. Sometimes Mm -hmm. we go out further than that. Mm -hmm. And I think the big sea change that we highlighted from the end of last year was that we took the view that the dollar had peaked uh, back in you know, maybe late September, October, depending on the currency, mm-hmm. for a variety of reasons against the major currencies. And that's a view that we're holding on to this year. Uh, so far, we've been right. And I think, you know, last week we saw a bit of a you know market swing around from the Fed, where the dollar actually weakened after the Fed, and then the strong non-farm payrolls, where we saw the dollar strengthened after that data. But I think overall, we're still going to be on course for a weaker dollar over 2023. Okay, so let's talk about some of these latest news quickly. Yes, those employment numbers were quite strong. And then we got the Fed Chair Jay Powell, I think he's mentioned, reported saying that they watched the, these employment data really closely, remain strong. They're probably going to keep rates high uh, or even hike more. Do you think actually he got it wrong again? Jerry, he keep getting things wrong. His track record was not very good. I, I think Fed Chairman Powell would, would argue with our view that his track record isn't good, mostly because <laughs> he, he takes a view that, I guess, you know, getting through the pandemic more or less in a robust economy, you know, I think he's going to get a lot of lookbacks from history saying, yeah, you did the best you could in a bad situation, in a horrible situation, to be fair. Mm. I think the Fed protected the system, and that's, that's what the Fed is there for. And the current bout and the cycle, you and I have talked with John about this, John Carroll, our chief economist. Yeah. And, you know, it's one of those things where the Fed only has certain tools in order to try to slow things down, to bring inflation down. Other things that could have been tried weren't tried in terms of trying to keep commodity prices lower. Uh, fair enough. You know, they roll the dice and then that's and now they've got to play it. One of the reasons that inflation has risen so much in the States and other places is that basically you had a lot of pandemic support. You had a lot of firms that, quote unquote, should have gone bust, but didn't go bust. And in fact, did quite well out of the pandemic, mm-hmm. uh, bouncing back through a variety of loans and support programs. People mm-hmm. got payments in the States, uh, American uh, citizens, you know, receive checks in the mail saying, here you are, you're having a tough time, maybe you can't go to work. This will help you through the tough times. And the stock market did very well, and housing prices went through the roof. So all these things created the groundswell that the Fed is trying to lean against now in terms of optimism, sentiment, uh, improvement. You know, people at 3.4% unemployment rate is very low on a historical point of view. Yep. 517,000 people finding jobs is very strong. 
no doubt about it. I mm. think the only saving grace for the Fed and economists in general is the fact that the people who put, you know, people who, comp who compile the data did so many changes that I think economists are kind of scratching their heads saying, okay, does this 517,000 new jobs actually compare to what we think new jobs were last year? How does this fit in? Yeah. Because they actually yeah. did find a bunch of jobs, I think over 800,000, um, you know, behind the back of the sofa sort of thing. And they said, okay, these are the revisions we've made to the data. Okay. You can't actually compare the 3.4 unemployment rate in January to the 3.5 in December because it's different metrics, different numbers. And you kind of say, okay, let's see how this moves out over the next three months. So I think Fed Chairman Powell did what he could, said, look, if the data remains strong, yeah, we'll have to raise rates a bit more than the market currently expects. Fine. Okay. But I think they suspect, as many people on Wall Street probably do, that the strong number in January will be uh, tapered over the yeah. next few months, and you'll see it revert to probably something a lot lower. And maybe the unemployment rate ticks up a little higher, 3.6, 3.8, maybe back to 4. So this current strength in dollar against many currencies like Euro, Yen, Sterling, etc. It's probably temporary in your view. Yeah, we're looking at this as a corrective move. I mean, remember the Euro has come up from, you know, testing 0.96 a couple of months ago. Mm -hmm. And it was testing 110 right before non-farm payrolls came out. Now we're at 107. So, you know, it's a relatively small pullback mm. within the corrective bounce that we've seen over the last few months. In our view, we might see the euro hold above, let's say, 104 and a half, 104, and then work towards 120 over the course of the year, maybe mm -hmm. even a little higher. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Well, you mentioned euro. That's another interesting region of economy uh, growth because it seems to be stronger than expected. The eurozone economy inflation seems to be lower uh, because of energy prices slowing. But you wrote recently in the weekly talking points, I think it was last one that you did, mentioned that actually ECB probably ignore that uh, or underplay that fall in natural gas price. Maybe you could explain a bit more here? Sure. I think the ECB has a tough time. I've, mm. Most central banks do at the moment, but the ECB in particular, because they've got to basically do so many different things to try to hold the Eurozone economy together and to hold the euro together. Remember, I'm a natural euro skeptic. I, I think the euro as a currency shouldn't exist. I think mm. it's one of those things where you're carrying along the Italian lira with the German mark. And it's one of those, you know, marriages of convenience that may or may not hold up. I've been wrong for 23 years, 24 years, really. And it's one of those things where you see the ECB doing its best, as Draghi said, whatever it takes to keep things together. Now, yeah. in this case, We've got a situation where the lower energy prices or lower gas prices in particular are going to be helping some industry and some retail consumers. Mm. But will those lower costs be passed on? My suspicion is no. I think companies have a sticky nature to them. So when prices get tough, in other words, input prices go up, they're happy to try to pass it on to the consumer as fast as they can. And when the input prices go down, unless you have really strong competition, Every single company will do its best to maintain their margins, increase their margins, and not bring down those energy price cost inputs and give the consumer a break. If they can, if they can get away with it, right? So in other words, once you push the price of your bread or your pizza or your sausage up 10, 15% and energy prices uh, that are an input into that go down, 
you're gonna be a little bit slow to mm. take those prices off again. And I think that's one of the problems that the ECB is gonna have to monitor, which is we're gonna see headline inflation, which includes energy, let's say, go mm. down, but core inflation, which doesn't include anything to do with energy prices, okay. that just might stay sticky and for a little bit longer than they, than they want. So it's one of those things with ECB maybe holding on to rate hikes a little bit longer than they would like, mm -hmm. and they may push rates a little higher than they would like. Should we worry about wage inflation at the same time Eurozone? Because uh, if the economy in there is stronger than expected, maybe there's a case for wage to go up as well at the same time. I, I don't know what, what we mean about should we worry. I mean, mm. basically, wage inflation is a positive thing, and I hope it spreads all over the world, right? Mm. It's, it's one of those things where if people get paid more, they're happier. Yeah, Wait, no. but that, that seems to be what the Fed is always worried about. Yes, of about. course. And to a certain extent, that's what John, our chief economist, keep uh, alerting us and say, watch wage inflation. So, yeah, it's He's been doing it for a long time, and he's 100% right in yeah. the terms of the Fed historically doesn't seem to care too much if, if stock markets go up a lot, but they do seem to care a lot if people get paid a lot because they're worried about inflation becoming entrenched and everybody's starting to manage expectations, thinking that every year we're going to get a 5% uh, sort of bump higher in prices and wages or higher, right? 10% mm. wages every year. Who wouldn't want a 10% real wage rise every year? And mm. that's a problem that it's not mm. a real wage rise, is it? It's nominal. And so if you're keeping this, you know, traction going, then things spiral and get out of control and no central bank in the world wants to be in that situation, which is why the Fed uses the tools it has to try to control what it can control, which in this case is try to slow the economy down so that the labor market can create a bit of slack and hopefully you don't get this whole cost push sort of inflation leading to a wage inflation spiral, which you know the yeah. Fed would think is horrible. But, but as far as the Eurozone is concerned, yep. James, I think, yes, you are going to see pockets of wage pressures on the upside as the economy mm -hmm. does better. And I think the ECB knows that, and that's one of the reasons why they're talking so tough about higher rates ahead. Mm. But keep in mind, the Eurozone's a mixed basket. You have Germany, you have Italy, you have France as a big True. powers. True. And they all have different pressures. I mean, the whole China slowdown thing worried German exports. It's, it's mm. one of those things where that is their big market. The whole Russian energy crisis in terms of the war in Ukraine has worried the you know big part of the German economy, the whole industrial base, which relies on relatively cheap energy. So they've got to go through a lot of adjustments, and I think the ECB is going to be sensitive to that. But overall, you still think that euro is going to be quite strong or recover from the current weakness against the dollar over the next 12 months? Yes. My overall view is that it's a dollar view. And I think the mm. dollar had a real big bout of strength mm. against almost everybody. And I think the dollar is going to have basically a corrective year. And it's going to be a bit of, you know, which currency is going to do better. So I think there's mm. going to be lots of cross-rate interplays. Sterling against the euro, euro against the Swiss, euro against the yen. Mm. Um, you're going to have the Aussie, the, Canada, the Canadian dollar, the Kiwi dollar. They're all going to be jockeying for position as to which one's going to do better. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, currency markets and currency market traders should do well and it's going to be one of those things where as you mentioned you have corporates and you have fund managers who may not do currency for a living mm -hmm. in terms of trading but they do have significant exposure i talked to one of the bigger u.s banks back in the 90s mm -hmm. and the head of their pension plans believe it or not and this guy had a couple of billion dollars under management mm -hmm. and he had a couple of what 500 million 700 million dollars in um 
currency okay. that he basically had a pot that he had to manage. Yes. And it was just amazing because here's a guy who's managing more currency risk than most people ever will. Yeah. And he was more or less doing it with econometric models and kind of swinging it around. Mm. And that, that's the way I think a lot of companies do it, where they have ex really what you and I would call considerable currency risk, which mm -hmm. they may not actually see as risk. Mm. And they may actually take tools and steps to manage it that you and I, who've been you know, born and raised in currency houses in terms of the banks that we've worked at and stuff, we would be looking at this going, well, you could probably do something a bit more um, orthodox or a bit more, um, I would say, rigid in, term in terms of trying to manage your currency risk. Yeah. So I think that's going to be the story of 2023, where everybody said in 2022, the strong dollar is creating headwinds, blah, blah, blah. 2023, they might say, okay, we've had currency results that are mixed. Some of them, yeah. some of them are going to be beneficial, mm -hmm. and some may not be. Yeah. Either way, it's a risk, and you have to choose to manage the risk. Yeah, I think it's interesting because uh, when I work for the the uh, big fund management houses, the currency risk is not being actively managed per se, purely because I think the tools uh, require and the cost in doing them probably outweigh the the other things they're doing, like picking the right stocks, picking the right bonds making the call on the right uh, which maturity or which duration they're holding and things like that. So yeah, maybe that's, that's right. probably the reason, but uh, things are Also, I think, I was going to say, it's one of those things that Fed Chairman Greenspan kind of commented on, which is that economists trying to predict currency rates is a bit of a losing battle. And I think that's because if you rely on models that are too rigid, uh, interest rate differentials, let's say, or trade flows or current accounts or anything like that. It basically looks at a number and tries to say, this number is going this way. Yep. Therefore the currency is gonna go that way as well. Your error of prediction is so big that basically you're gonna say, what's the point? This is yeah. a random walk down currency yeah. street. Exactly. And that's why you probably become then you need to do things a lot more frequent. It costs clients money because there's a transaction cost, etc. And it's just the, the complexity involved may not worth what a lot, what a lot of people think. So, but like you said, there could be things you could done in a rigid or orthodox framework, which maybe we'll explore again a, a few of these tactics in the future. Let's move Definitely. to the UK, shall we? We talk about wage, we talk about Eurozone. Uh, let's move across the channel to UK, which is always a big problem. We saw a lot of public workers, NHS, ambulance drivers, I think firefighters as well soon. They're going on strike. I think anybody who could has gone on strike except, to say I want, except you I and want I, higher basically. wages. <laughs> except you and I, I can't go on strike. Yes, of anyway, course. Anyway, but that's that's the, the winter of discontent again with, uh, uh, with a lot of things going on with the on the politics side, which we will mention on this podcast. But obviously, with that background, with also the US and the Europe situation, do you think Pang will be a dog this year? No, not at all. I, I know you said we can't mention politics, but I think we have to mention the fact that Liz Truss is no longer the prime minister. She True. was only in power for a little bit over, <laughs> she was only around for a little over 40 days, 43 days, whatever. But her tenure managed to rock the pound to the point where we said new all-time lows, which is something that, you know, we've been kind of thinking about for a few years now. Mm -hmm. And we finally saw it and it was like, wow, you know, take a, take a photo of that print because that's pretty scary. Mm -hmm. And I think 
the Tory party pulled back from the brink of what could have been a sustained disaster by replacing her and the chancellor with somebody who is more orthodox, if you will. He may not have the, you know, go for growth plan that she had, but he has this sort of talk and the tough talk from his chancellor that basically the markets like. And I think that's going to prevail in terms of the UK economy is probably not going to do great, but it's probably not going to sink into, you know, the the deep despair that some people think it will. I think people in the UK love to work and they love to work hard and make money. And I think UK PLC itself is actually quite robust in terms of what it can actually do. So my view is that, yes, the pound has set a base, 103.80, I think, according to Refinitive data. And I think it's going to work above 125 over the course of the next few months and work towards 130, 135, and then top of the range, 140, 144, right? Mm. And that's not really saying a lot because basically we're still range bound in the range since the EU referendum. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But it actually is saying a lot because we're not talking about breaking parity and we're not talking about staying at 114 or 110 or 112, whatever. We're talking about the upside back to where quote unquote we were. So I think, I think the pound, yeah, the, the pound will do okay. Against the Euro, I'm looking for sustained range trading. If you look at it in terms of sterling Euro, mm -hmm. you know, maybe back up to 120, 122 mm -hmm. or in there, it seems to get sticky. In mm -hmm. terms of Euro sterling trading between 90 and 83, 84, maybe 80. You know, I'm not looking for move back down to 76 cents, which is where we were right before the EU referendum in 2016. Mm -hmm. So kind of boring is the best way to put it. So basically, it's doing kind of over on average, you may be probably doing nothing, euro, sterling, etc. But the pound itself probably will strengthen uh, or recover from the current level versus dollar throughout the next Correct. 12 months. Okay. Yeah, that's yeah. sort of what we're looking for. So basically, I, in our last podcast on the currency matters, you actually suggested that some of our professional investors and advisors in the UK to look at uh, ETF or, or funds that actually use hedged, currency hedged uh, indices or uh, underlying strategies. You still have that wheel? Yes, I don't think it's too late. And the reason for that is that we were talking when the pound, I think, was trying to break below you know, 114, 110 yeah, yeah. around that area. Yeah. And we were saying that a lot of the gains or avoided losses that people had seen in their emerging market bond slash equity portfolios and their U.S. stock slash bond portfolios mm -hmm. were because they actually had the dollar. So if you were sitting here in pounds and you had dollar investments, you'd made 16 yeah. percent, let's say, by doing nothing. If, if your asset class had done nothing, you'd made 16 percent because the dollar had moved in your favor. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. what we were arguing then was that you maybe want to take a good hard look at, you know, capturing those dollar gains and maybe, you know, trying to get your portfolio ready for a situation where the dollar may be on a back foot. Now, mm. here we are trading just around 121 and I'm talking 130, 135, 140. Mm. That's, you know, a decent 10, 15 percent going mm. against you. Mm -hmm. So my view would be if you share our view that the dollar may be on a back foot for the rest of the year, mm -hmm. maybe even a year and a half, then you may want to do something about it. Mm. Because why, why wouldn't you, right? Yeah, if yeah. The cost of the investment doesn't go up much. I know some of these guys do try to charge more for taking the currency risk out. But if that doesn't affect you materially, 
and your choice of investments remains the same, then it may be something to consider. Interesting. Okay. So, well, it seems that actually, despite what happened last few weeks, I think uh, our view about the dollar uh, this year remains the same. It's going to weaken. Uh, it won't, won't be at that strong level. Sterling, uh, euros probably will go, recover against the dollar, but euros sterling probably will be ring trading, as Jerry has said. There'll be something that obviously we'll keep an eye on. For those actually professional investors and audience who've been listening, want to have a uh, want, to, want help about ETFs or funds, uh, many index funds that have hedged currencies, just uh, drop us an email or drop us a note. Uh, you could actually contact us on our website, which is 3co-advisors.com, or you could just drop us an email at info at 3co-advisors with an O.com. So that's us for this time. Until next time, uh, thank you for listening. Jerry and I will wish everyone a very good uh, February and hopefully Q1 as well in the investment side. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, James.